The following podcast is an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Rochester, Minnesota. You can find out more by visiting harvestrochester.org. Week we're closing our four-week series called "The Whole Picture." The whole picture. Um, we spent the first three weeks really in, the, in mostly in the Old Testament, kind of digging into and developing our view of Christ as this eternal, never-changing, always and forever God. Really, with with Hebrews thirteen eight as the the central verse, and also that we were just proclaiming and declaring that. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, forever. Always creating, always cleansing, always revealing, and this week, always reigning. Always reigning. The title of the message today is Christ reigns over all. Christ reigns over all. We see Jesus Christ reign, meaning his, his power, his, his dominion, his authority, his influence, his, his kingdom. We see this start, just to get a, a scope of what we're talking about. This started on page one of the Bible, even before that, but we're, we're let into it on, on page one of the Bible, Genesis 1. We see Jesus being the, the active force, the active creator of all, reigning over all. And we see Jesus' reign on earth attacked. You just have to flip one page in your Bible just two chapters later in Genesis 3, we see his reign on earth attacked, right, by, by Satan and, and sin, right? We see his reign on earth attacked, and, and that separated us from God. It made it to where heaven and earth couldn't coexist in the same spot. They had to be separate, right? But God having a plan, right, to having a plan to bring the fullness of his reign sent Jesus Christ. Yep, we're just starting with the gospel today, everybody. Sent Jesus Christ. Uh, to be born as a man, right? To, to bring about his reign. And, and this is the cool thing about Jesus, that, that he came, a lot of cool things about Jesus, but he came and he didn't live as one who reigned, right? He didn't live behind walls of the kingdom. He lived as one who served. He lived a sinless life, right? And then we, all, we know his road led to the cross. The cross, his death, the payment for my sin, and then his resurrection. That being really the central Central event in the restoration of humanity, the cross, right? The central gate to opening to the fullness of Christ's reign. We see that. That really kind of sets the framework uh, that we see now. Jesus conquering sin and death as the Messiah and King, ruling Son of God, now reigning based on that redemption and forgiveness that we can have through faith in Him, through grace. So this really gets us to the framework of Christ's reign in the passage today. We're going to be in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Pretty cool today. The last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, where the Apostle John, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, comes face to face with the fullness of Christ's reign. He's let in on what eternity is going to look like. He's let in on the permanent picture of what his reign, what our reign with him will look like forevermore. What's surely to come. A view into the time and order of things when everything goes back to being how it was supposed to be. In this last chapter of the Bible, in these words that really complete the, the sufficient, the perfect Word of God, we are let into this simple truth. This simple truth that's on the top of your bulletin. I wanted to fill you in the blanks this morning. This truth that to set my eyes on the rain that is to come, I must set my heart on the rain that is today. Set my heart on the rain that is to come. I must set my heart on the rain that is today. More, more will come, but let me pray. Father God, uh, we worship you this morning. So awesome to worship you this morning. Declare your truths, Father, which were revealed to us, Father, which you convict us, Lord, which the Holy Spirit convicts us of, which gives us a guarantee of those truths, Father. We're grateful, Lord, for Jesus Christ, Father. Thank you, God, for sending him to die for us, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. The only way, my only hope, Father, I pray that spirit of your grace and the spirit of your truth would just, just enter this room, Lord. Father, that things that would distract us, including my wayward words or my... Uh, imperfectness, Father, would, would fall on deaf ears, Father. And the only thing, Father, that would enter into hearts is your will, your word, Father, 
God, would you do that this morning by your power, for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, as we, we're going to jump into this passage here. We're going to attack the whole chapter, Revelation 22. A uh, little context as we jump into the, the chapter, jumping into the back of a book. Um, the book Revelation got its name from the first verse of Revelation. Revelation 1.1 says, uh, The revelation of Jesus, which God gave to him, talking about John, to show the servants, us, the things that soon must take place. So God gave uh, this as a revelation to John for us to be revealed to it so we would know what soon was going to take place. Got it? That's the purpose of the book. It's a great book. It addresses really the church heading in or maybe being in the end times. In the end times. Uh, battling Satan and, and the enemies of this world. The second coming of Christ. The judgment. And now the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. That's where we find us today. The creation of the new heaven and the new earth. The description of what that's going to be. And that's where we find uh, the words today. Starting in verse 1. Here we go. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God will be of the Lamb, will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Be blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your pr brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Pretty awesome passage. <laughs> we see at the beginning of this passage, we see we're let into this continuation of this awesome description of what this new heaven and new earth is going to look like. This new heaven and new earth prepared by Jesus Christ, a perfect environment that was originally intended at the start of creation. Remember the garden. This is how things were originally supposed to be. We see the first five verses, the Holy Spirit 
inspires John really to paint us a picture of exactly what eternity with God is going to look like. We see Jesus' full reign played out both physically and spiritually here. And we see his people worshiping him. We see his name written on their foreheads. His name is on their foreheads. There is, there is no mistaking who I belong to for all of eternity. His name is on my forehead. There's no need for, for the sun or, or for lamps. There's no need for light. For the glory of the Lord is our light in heaven. In, in actually the previous chapter, in chapter 21, John doesn't even see a temple. There's not a church. There's, no, we, there's not a need for a place for the glory to come down to because the glory is everywhere. The glory of God is everywhere in the new heaven and the new earth. And we see not only this description, but the timeline laid out by John. In verse 5, it says, This is the state of things forever. Forever. That we will reign with him forever. permanent union of God and man without the presence of, of, of sin to mess it up, right? In verse 3, it says, nothing is accursed. Nothing is accursed. Nothing is impure. Just think about that for a second. We don't know what that is like, by the way. No, no sin, nothing accursed. Nothing, meaning not for one thought, not one second is there sin in my head my actions, how it plays out. Not one second. Nothing is accursed. Sin is not a problem. It is, it is not the problem anymore. It is taken care of. It is off the table. It's old news. We see no suffering or persecution or trials anymore. I love verse 2. I love it. it says the leaves on the trees were for, were for the healing of the nations. Notice the past tense. Were. The, the, the nations have been healed. The people of the nations have been healed. No suffering anymore. It's all taken care of. We see the, the fruitfulness of a life abiding completely with the Lord. Twelve months, twelve kinds of fruit. There's no more in season and out of season anymore. This is a life that is always fruitful for the Lord. Always bearing fruit for the Lord. And, and we see all of this, all of this description dominated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's central to it all. He's central to it all. We see it only could start after he arrived. A couple chapters earlier, we, we know in, verse, in chapter 19 that he comes on the scene riding his, his white horse. We see that. And we see Jesus central to all of this playing out. Central to the place we describe here. We see the river of life that flows from the throne, right? Look at uh, verse 1, flowing from the throne, the river of life that flows from the throne of God. And the Lamb through the middle of the street, the Lamb sitting on the throne, sitting next to the throne of God. This river of life is flowing in and through everything. In and through everything. It's awesome. His return, the establishment of this new heaven and, and new earth will bring the fullness of His reign. This is the fullness of, of Christ's reign. And that's, that's point one this morning. Christ reigns through His imminent return. It's coming. It's imminent it's going to happen. I am surely coming, he says. He says his impending return that, that he himself said, I'm, I'm going to return in all power and all glory. He said this several times, one of those in Matthew 24 in the Gospels. God pulls back the curtain and reveals this vision to John so, so it could be revealed by the word and we could read it today that we could be revealed to the truth of what is coming, that we could read it and believe it today, that we could read it and set our eyes on heaven today, that we could read it and live expectantly today, that we could have our eyes shifted to what is surely coming, that to our permanency and security and perfectness assured in a communion, in an eternal Salvation with Jesus Christ and with my God, cemented by his return. You know, when I read this description, I can't help but just close my eyes and just imagine, just, just put myself there. I ask you to do that with me this morning. Just, just, maybe you'd close your eyes. Close your eyes and just picture the setting of just complete tranquility. <laughs> your best. I know it's, we don't know what it's like, but... Just, just this life living alongside my Creator always, every second. Heaven and earth not existing as two places anymore, but now as one. 
Think about this, you guys. Just at no time, at no time will I feel distant from the Lord. At no time will I feel distant from God. At no time will I feel anxious about, about rolling up to him. At no time will I fall into, into sin or, or fall into the weakness of my own flesh. At no time will that hinder me. I'll be in complete communion with the Lord's holiness, his mercy, his, his grace, his strength. As we open up, as I, as I was reading this and, and imagining this, and I opened up my eyes as you're doing right now, and you're back in the world. There's a pretty, pretty sharp contrast to the world that we live in now versus the world that John describes here. This Bible isn't there. There's pretty, pretty sharp contrast, isn't there? We don't have to look very far to see glimpses of, of tragedy today, glimpses of, of horror today. You know, and one thing I realized this week is, I, I realized I was starting to become pretty desensitized to that, that horror, that tragedy, until I really looked at the, the dichotomy, the difference, the contrast between what things will be like and what things are like now. I was starting to almost become apathetic to, way, to the, how things are in the world, the, the horror that we see, the tragedy. It's like it, 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 things that don't make sense, followed by things that are unfair, followed by things that are absolutely unimaginable started to become almost indifferent to the constant breaking news of another terrorist attack. Constant breaking news of a, 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 another cop shot dead. Apathetic to, to increased racism and injustice in our world. Desensitized to it all. That, that another fallen pastor removed from the care of his church was just normal. That's not, that's not our normal. That's not our normal in the fullness of his reign to come. We have to, we have to remember that. From this, from this view of the world, as things get worse and worse, and we, we know from, from the first 21 chapters of Revelation that things are going to get worse and worse. We know that from our view of the world that it's harder to see and harder to believe that sometimes that Christ is reigning today. It's, it's, it's hard to believe that when we look at the world sometimes. We were honest with ourselves we would say that. Harder to believe that he has sovereign and influence and power and control in what goes on today. And we know from, from God's word, from the Holy Spirit, which is our guarantee that, that this is true, that he does have rule, he does have reign today, that there isn't an action or an injustice that, that comes past without without him knowing about it, without him having control. He's not overwhelmed or inundated. We know this is true. And while all of this is true, we have to realize this truth, that my evidence of Christ's reign at this very moment must not start at, at looking at the world for evidence. Okay, We can't start by looking at the world for evidence of Christ's reign. This is why. This is why. Because Christ's reign is an internal reign. So I can't look at an eternal reign in the backdrop of a temporary setting. The world is temporary. It is fading away. It is fading away. It must be much more personal than that. I must look inward when I want to look at Christ's reign today. I must look, look inward. Christ's reign is eternal. I must look inward at my heart and soul as an eternal being to be convicted that Christ is reigning in and through me. In and through me. To set my eyes on the reign that is to come. I, set, I must set my heart on the reign that is today. And we see two-thirds of the, the verses in this chapter. Really everything after verse 5, except for one verse, are, are, are really commands for us today. Really commands for us today. And his eternal reign is going to be magnificent, more glory, more awesomeness than we could ever fathom, than we could ever imagine, for sure. But, but we see clearly proclaimed here, there, we cannot miss the call for how we are living now. For how we are living now, for how we are living now, because it, it matters. It matters. We see this clear message from the Lord that I am reigning now. I desire to reign now in you and, and through you. And God lays this out in this direct call to action. We see in verse 6 and 7, it says this is, this is taking place soon. These words are, are trustworthy. Jesus comes in. You see the, the red letters. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. 
We see all this truth laid out for us right alongside with free will. With the free will, because we, we have the free will to decide how we're going to respond to it, don't we? Don't we? And that's point two today. Christ reigns through not just his imminent return, but he, he reigns through my immediate response. Through my immediate response, God's word spurs us to really ask ourselves, you know, is Christ, is Christ reigning over my life today? Is he reigning over my life today? And I'll tell you, regardless of where your relationship is at with Christ, he is reigning over your life today. He is, but is the life you're living, is your relationship with him reflective of that reign? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves today. And the passage really, really kind of digs in some, some immediate responses. There's four of them you see in your bulletin that we're going to go through today. Four of these, these responses to Christ's reign. We see the first one right in verse 8, jumps right into it. We see John understandably pretty overwhelmed by everything he's seen from 21 chapters, and now he's seen the new heaven and the new earth that he just falls down. He just falls down in absolute worship. He still starts worshiping an angel. And the angel immediately is like, what, right, what do angels do when we start worshiping them? Like, no, 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 stop worshiping you. Like, me and you are basically the same, right? You wouldn't worship the other apostles or other servants of God, so don't worship me. He says, worship God. Worship God. That's, that's the first one. We're hit right, right with it right away. The first one this morning is responding by worshiping the creator instead of worshiping the created. Worshiping the the creator versus worshiping the created. We see that as the first response. God created us not just to worship, but to worship him. Worship him. We see this as the second commandment, idolatry, that we would not have any other gods. We would not worship any other gods. The truth about this commandment is if, we wor- if what we worship isn't God, if, if God isn't our number one, it is wrong. Whatever is in there, it is wrong. Whatever it is, moral or immoral, it is wrong. Romans 125 says, uh, says those about those who worship idols, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Let's pick up on this warning this morning, church. Exchange the truth about God for a lie. Think about that. Lies are, are meant to be hard to detect, right? They're sneaky, right? They're, they're they're meant to be, to be covered. They're not obvious. They're often buried deep in our thoughts or, or in our situations. Think about John in this case. John didn't set out to be idolatrous in this moment. He was just caught up in the situation that he was so overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed. And, and because he was so overwhelmed, so absolutely in awe of, of what he had seen, he, he, he had forgotten a truth that he surely knew. John surely knew that he should worship God. Right? And if we, would, if we would be honest with ourselves, sometimes our situations, sometimes the things we are in of this world would cause us to forget truths we know about God, cause lies to sneak into our hearts as well. So we have to search our hearts for those lies. A, a lie like, like more delight could be, could be found in, in, an, in this new relationship that I have than my walk with Christ. A lie could be that I should seek the approval of, of my uh, or affirmation from my husband before I seek it from the Lord. The lie that, that says, you know, the status or, or title that I've worked so hard that I've earned for is worth more care and more attention than, than Jesus Christ. Those are lies that start to, to sneak in. Don't for a moment think that, that when we walk into Kellogg Middle School, we switch, we switch on our worship and switch it off. No, 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 no. We are always worshiping. We are always worshiping. Hundreds, thousands, maybe, maybe millions of things each week distract us, yearn for our worship. Put, even maybe put a stake, a claim on our worship. Try to, right? If Christ so jealously desires to reign in our hearts through our worship, Onto him. But this, this truth, too, the consequences are so high, you know, because we become what we worship. What we yearn and what we long for, we become. That's why the stakes are so high. So Christ not only desires our, our worship onto him, that his reign will be through that, but also our transformation into him. Also, our transformation into him, his reign today is through that. His reign is when I long to be with him, when I recount his wondrous deeds. He reigns when somebody catches me at the stoplight and I'm failfully hitting a Meredith Andrews high note, just blasting it in my car, right? 
Because it doesn't matter, right, if my heart is truly singing unto the Lord. I'm exalting His name. I'm recounting His deeds. He reigns through that. He reigns through my worship to Him when I choose to reign, when I choose to worship the Creator. So first response, worshiping the Creator, not the created. As the angel continues in, in verse 10, we see it says, it says this, it says, don't, don't seal up what you've seen. Don't seal this up, John. What's been revealed to you, the time is near. And we see this a couple times throughout. Even Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. He says this four times. Four times, I'm coming soon. Jesus is not talking in parables anymore. There's no more figures of speech. He's, he's right at it. I'm, I, he wants us to get this. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. We see this, this on purpose, this purposeful communication, this urgency. This urgency to this whole passage. That's the, the second response today. Am I, am I being urgent or am I being idle? Am I being urgent or am I, am I being idle? This passage is really dripped with contagious urgency. We see it again in verse 12. It says, not only am I coming soon, but I'm going to bring recompense with me. I'm going to repay each one for what he has done. We see this, this urgent warning against idleness, this urgent warning against apathy. We see this here. You know, when we think of idleness, and I kind of got caught into this this week, trying to think of an illustration for this. We think of idleness as, um, as just not doing anything. That's what we think of idleness as. So most of us wouldn't identify with, with idleness because everyone is busy, right? So, so I usually, guys don't roll up to small group and say, like, I'm really praying for my idleness this week. Have you ever heard that? No, it doesn't happen very much, right? It doesn't happen. Right? But, but idleness is not just not doing anything. It's doing the wrong things. It's doing the wrong things. Idleness can be doing the wrong things. Things that aren't building his kingdom. Living a life that doesn't reflect the urgency of the mission. The urgency of, uh, of, what, of that, what happens in this life dictates forever. Living with that type of urgency. That type of, of, of urgency. And, and I know there are probably some of you, like if I would be sitting here uh, listening to this message, I would be like, I, I think I got that one. I got that box of urgency. Anybody knows me, I'm pretty type A, I'm pretty aggressive. So some of you, some of the people, your, your, your calendar looks somewhat like this. Like on, on Monday night, you go to small group. On, on Tuesday night, you go to Bible study. On Wednesday night, it's men's group. Thursday, you combat world hunger, but you make sure you're in time to home, in time to like Skype with Kenya in the orphanage you support there. Like you're doing it all. You're doing it all. I, I know we have some people like that really going after it. And, and, and you're checking that box of urgency. And, and I, I just implore you to keep reading, to keep reading in, in, in this in this chapter. Keep reading on, on to verse 11. Look at what verse 11 says. This was a grenade for me this week. It says, let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Man, God's word is so timely. Isn't it so timely? And when I start to think I have some boxes checked, and I, I measure up pretty good, God's got this just way of humbling me Way, way of just gently reminding me that I'm not close to arriving at his standard. You know, think about it. verse 11 is basically saying, yes, be urgent, but, but the holy is still going to be holy. Like the righteous is still going to be righteous. The filthy is still going to be filthy. Like don't think for a second that you have any control over, over my plan. It's going to be carried out with or without you. With or without your urgency. We see that. We see in verse 13, Jesus says, says this, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the, begin the first, the last, the beginning and the end, right? I'm holding it all together as I've always done, as I always will do. So lean into me. Lean into me. We can't ignore this, this third response, this third opportunity for Christ to reign. It's through, it's through pursuing dependence instead of pursuing control. Am I pursuing control or am I pursuing dependence? Dependence instead of control. I probably use this phrase a thousand times, most, most often to justify. Uh, maybe you have used it too. Uh, work like it depends on you, but know that it depends on God. Anybody ever heard that, that saying before? Work like it depends on you, but know like it depends on God. You know, here's the problem with that. It's really good in theory, really good in theory, but, but over time, and by time I mean sometimes just an hour or, or a day or a week, like my white-knuckled efforts my white-knuckled urgency, aggressiveness starts to fade out the back end of that statement <laughs> to, where, to where it really kind of morphs into work hard because it does depend on you. 
we were honest with ourselves, that's how our actions would really reflect our beliefs sometimes. Work hard because it does depend on you, and that's not true. Let me ask you this. Is, is trying to control what you can't control exhausting? Yeah, that is, that is exhausting. Exhausting. Usually by the end of the night, I can tell if, I, if that day I pursued dependence or control. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty automatic. You'd think I'd be better at this because of this, this automatic, but I'm, I'm really not. But at the end of the day, I can really, really tell if I spent the day holding things tightly, thinking that, that I had control, and at the end of that day, I'm, I'm collapsing in a heap, physically, emotionally, often sinfully. It's a crash. Conversely, when, when, I, when, I, when I, on days when I lean in, when I hold things open-handedly, I might have worked very hard, maybe, maybe worked very hard onto the Lord that day, as we should, but I held the results, the fruit of it, to the one who, who was responsible, to the only one that could. I, I held the results open-handedly. On those type of days, they, they, those type of days look differently. Those type of days look differently. Now, now unfortunately, unfortunately for, for my wife, the, uh, the surplus of energy that I have from, from living by the Spirit all day, well, that, that, the fruit of that sometimes is me laying in bed, like jibber-jabbering her ear, you know, until she falls asleep while I'm talking. We had to get over that very early in our marriage that I, I couldn't get mad that she would fall asleep in the middle of, of when I was talking to her. So we're past that now. It's okay. We'll talk about it in the morning. Talk about it again. It's okay. We can laugh. <laughs> but the pursuit of, of control takes us down this, this path that says, says, you know, Lord, I can handle this better than you. I, 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 I got this situation on lockdown more than you. And we see this, this harsh warning at the very end of the passage. We're going to jump a few verses here. Look at verse 18 and 19. Two of the last four words, two of the last four verses in the entire Bible, we say this. It basically says, don't add or take away from this book. Do not add or take away from this book, from this Bible. Interesting. If you do that, things aren't going to go well for you as, as you see whether you're adding or taking away. It says, lean into the Word of God. Trust the Word of God. Trust Jesus Christ to be enough to be enough. Not to think that you could add more to it. Not to think that you could add more to it. Not to, not to think that maybe there was something you should take away. That there was something that didn't apply to you as you would counsel yourself or counsel others. The whole, the complete word of God. The complete word of God. Depend on it completely. Depend on Christ completely. So I implore you church this morning, you know, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to trust God more in your life? What do you need to release to him? Open up your hands. Christ rules over my life and he reigns when I pursue dependence and give up control. When his power and authority pries open my hands to something so much better, so much more sustaining, and, and so much more effective. See verse 14, continue here. It says, it says blessed are the ones who wash their robes wash the robes. And this uh, amidst the, the reality of this fallen world, God gives us this clear calling throughout all of his word and, and here to, to live set apart, to live differently, to live with washed robes, with holy. Clear calling. Verse 15 continues. It, it describes those not let in. Those, those not led, and we see the washing of the robes as this, this really a foundation for entry, the right to the tree of life, to enter through the gates. And we see verse 15 describes those not led in, sorcerers and, and idolaters, those who love and practice falsehood. This is really the first time in this text that we see not everyone is going to be sitting in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. Very clear that there are those who are outside this new heaven and, and new earth, not in the presence of, of the Lord, of the Lord. And, and we know this also from Revelation 20, when Jesus opens up the book of life and says, if your name is not written in the book of life, right? Our name must be written in the book of life and is not by my own work, by my own deeds, by my own uh, morality that I, my name is in there, that I get in the city. 
right? That I wash my robes only by the power of Jesus Christ, by the grace of Christ, that my faith in him, that my belief in him, I would be imputed righteousness, imputed holiness. My robes would be washed. My genuine faith, I could be transformed to desire God, to desire to be pure like God. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy as I am holy. We desire God. We desire to be pure, to be holy like God. You know, because at one point, all of us lived a life described in, the, in those verses. We lived as, as, as sorcerers, idolaters, sexually immoral. We lived as those who, who loved and practiced falsehood. We did. We, there, there must have been a 180 at some point. We were not, not born loving and desiring God, desiring holiness. We were not. We ran right past purity to the more attractive power. Power. Christ reigns when I ask him to cleanse me. God, change my heart. Make me desire purity instead of power. May I desire purity instead of power. That's the fourth Fourth response this morning, do I desire purity or power? Purity or power. He is pure and alone pure. And when the Spirit rules over my flesh, you guys, this is so important. When it rules over my flesh, from the first time when I committed my life to Him, when the Holy Spirit entered, first time Christ reigned over my flesh. And then each time, each time I'm filled back up, each time I, I shed another layer of my flesh, another layer of my sinfulness and put on Christ-likeness, God reigns. Jesus Christ reigns through that. Know that, church. Know the awesomeness of that. Each time I desire holiness, He reigns. He reigns through me. He reigns over those former desires those things that we used to long for, that we do not long for anymore. He reigns over those. God put something on my heart this week. Um, really, I think it's a way this power versus purity response is often applied, and really often applied in the church. Okay? I'm speaking to churchy people. So often applied in the church, and the, the snub time sneaks into the rows of the church is this, uh, this application of forgiveness forgiving and, and showing grace to one another. Um, this truth that when I don't forgive someone, when I, I don't apply grace to someone or, or something or something that happened to me, my desire is for power instead of purity. It's backwards. My desire is for power instead of purity. That's no matter what. So if, you're, if your inner lawyer just kind of went off right now and, and, and just tried to make you the exception in the room, like you're the exception in the room, your thing is, is somehow outside of the lines of all of the rest of us have going on, I just ask you to, to capture that thought and just, just lean in for a second. I lovingly ask you this. I lovingly ask you this. I, I might not know exactly your thing, your, what someone did to you, uh, but I have seen the ugliness of this world, and I have struggled with unforgiveness. I have. When I, when I, when I was 13 years old, uh, my, my dad walked out on my mom um, and, and my three siblings and left, disappeared for nine years of my life. Just out of the blue, walked out. And for years... For years, I had to deal with unforgiveness, even after becoming a believer, him now trying to be re-entered into my life, and, and I, I, I deal with it today still. It's an ongoing deal, and, and God, God really pressed into me, especially this week, in this concept of, am I desiring power or purity? He pressed into me this week in this battle against unforgiveness, this, this battle that if, if I have any forgive, unforgiveness, if I'm withholding any grace, if I'm at all keeping a, a tally of things someone has done, I am stockpiling a power that is only reserved for God. Maybe it's to feed a narrative or, or use for bargaining chips later or, or to condone or justify your own sin. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I know for me that, that unforgiveness became unrest, turned into anger, and before I knew it, my, my father's sin had become my sin. It's my story. That's my story. 
I know that's, that's the sin of unforgiveness. That, that's the fruit of unforgiveness, the bad fruit of it. Our hurt, our pain, our, our shame, our anger, those are real. Those are real emotions in, in a fallen world. Those are real, and they propel us right past purity and right towards power, right towards the power the world says that we deserve, that we earn, that we should avenge what's been done, that we deserve the power to make it even, to make it right. I think forgiveness is better illustrated oftentimes when we reverse it, when we reverse shoes here. And, and, and let me ask you this. Anybody for, been forgiven by another person that they knew they didn't really deserve to be forgiven for? Like Anybody ever? Like, Yeah, some people. I, I, I can look around the room and I just saw about like 10 people that did this for me, for sure. A right, lot, lot of people, a lot of grace, right? You think about that. When somebody plays the grace card in your life like that, somebody, when you expected them to bring the hammer down on you, when you expected it to be bad, like some consequences to be there, and they, and they bring, bring grace. They don't condone, they don't enable your sin, but they, they bring grace to the table. They don't wield their power. They don't make you pay. Anybody? Uh, uh, there's, there's been like I said, tons in this room that have done grace when I, I don't deserve it. I think of my wife who does this for me daily. Daily. And, and I, I thank her for that. Uh, when I'm convicted to do so, I need to be convicted more to do so for being a steward of God's grace. But I don't just thank her for forgiving. I need to thank her for allowing Christ to reign through that response. For me allowing, for, for her allowing me to see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his reign through that response. To apply the gospel to everything, to everyone. May Christ reign supreme over this world. He reigns over what, what the world would say is fair or deserved or owed. He reigns when we respond, when we desire purity and not power. This example of, of, of grace and, and forgiveness leads us right into verse 17, into the close, really, of this, this passage. And we read verse, verse 17. I'm going to read it again because it is that awesome. It says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Without price. I love how we see everyone seeing the same thing. We see the Holy Spirit we see the bride, which is the church. We see the church saying, come, the body of believers. We see this invitation to the one who hears. The one who hears this verse, actually, it actually contains two different invitations. There's two invitations going on here. There, there's, one, there's one for Jesus, saying, Jesus, Lord Jesus, come. And then there's one by Jesus. Jesus saying to the lost, come. Come among the church. Come among the, the sinners saved by grace that you could stand here and, and call for me and long for me. Those who are his long for him. They long for him. Spirit and the bride say come. And then we see the, the one who hears says, says come. Says come. Inviting all those who hear this invitation today. You're here today. You're here in the Word of God. You've heard the Gospel. You've heard the good news of Christ. You've heard what eternity could look like through your faith in Him. You've heard that road that He's prepared for you. Invitation, the good news of Christ. Let all of those who hear come. Come put your faith in Jesus. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God, for just hearing is not enough, right? I must believe. I, be, if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth, then, then I will be saved and you will be saved. And you will be saved. So come join those who belong to Him, who call Him, who call Him, come Lord Jesus. Because if you're not in relationship with Him, then you don't want Him to come. Come join those who belong to him and call them here. For we do not belong to him by anything that we did. We didn't earn a card-carrying member, 
card. No, 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 no. By his grace, by his sovereignty, by his hand, by his preparation, would he save me from my previous life, save me from my eternity destined to death, destined to be condemned for my sin, my sin. And we see the, the last piece of this verse. This is so awesome. Let the one who is thirsty come. You thirsty? Because he's the only thing that will satisfy our thirst. He was the only thing that will satisfy it. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is no price. I love that, that this astounding addition is added to this invitation at the end. Just to make sure we, we're clear that, that us coming, us responding to this invitation, there is no price, there is no work, there is no nothing that I need to do to respond. There, there's nothing. I, come as you are. Come as you are. There's, there's, no, there's no price. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that faith inside your heart. Even the faith, even the faith we have to believe these things are put in by our Lord Christ. Do, do you guys realize that? Like sometimes I used to think that I brought faith to the table. I, no, 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 no. I was wrong. God gives me that. Come, come. Take the water of life without price. Without price. He makes this as broad as he could be. In this last, last point today, Christ reigns through his invitation. He reigns through his invitation. We see this reign through this ultimate invitation to Jesus and by Jesus. So if you stand here as a, a follower of Christ, whether it's been, been a week or, or for 60 years, listen to me. You stand here as a follower of Christ, whether it's been, been one week or 60 years, that invitation, if you responded to that, if you believe in your heart, that changed the trajectory of your eternity forever. Forever, that invitation did. Man, that I could be included among those with Jesus Christ on his forehead, living forever among the light of God's glory, that I could be included in that. If, think about this. If you have genuine faith in Christ, if you believe, if you trust him for your salvation, you were among those that John saw worshiping God. Think about that those first five verses in the eternity. He sees forever. You were among. I was there. You were there. He, he saw you. <laughs> That's an amazing truth. We believe this to be a true vision of the new heaven and, no, and new earth. Those who have their faith in Christ are part of that picture. We are part of that eternal picture, eternal communion with our Lord Christ. On a side note, I'd love to know what my glorified body looks like. <laughs> as, and as we wait for his glory to be revealed, let, let, let us not, not think even, not, not one believer in this room or, or, or in this room had, has done anything to outgrow that invitation. That, that we must come again and again to that, that water for we must again again come and be satisfied by the only one who satisfies. Thirsty, come. Thirsty, come. So as we, as we close, we're going to close a little bit differently today. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone to, to respond in some way. Uh, first, I'm going to ask everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, then you are part of the bride. Okay, whether you're a member of this church or not, this doesn't matter for this passage. You're part of the bride. You are a follower of Christ. I'm going to ask you to respond in this way. I'm going to ask God to bring verse 17 to this place this morning where we see all believers gathered together, worshiping the Lord Christ, inviting Jesus to come, and then inviting those who don't know him to come down as well. So first I'm going to ask every believer in Christ to come down. We're going to stand up front, and we're going to all worship down here together. And Brent's going to sing. We're going to all worship together. So if you're a believer in Christ, come down. Come down. And, 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 and while they come, while they come, if, if you walked in here today not knowing where your relationship with, with Christ is 
want you to consider this. Your invitation did not get lost in the mail. We're going to clear the seats. How awesome a church could, could gather together. I think about a church. All coming together like we're going to be. In verse 17, all gathered together asking the Lord Jesus to come. It's okay, you can bump shoulders with the people next to you. We're going to be close in heaven. All gathered together for all eternity. For all eternity, that he would reign forever. That we would reign with him forever and ever. Maybe you would just put, put your hand on, on somebody next to you. And we could, we could just join in unity like that. No one alone. No one alone. For God who surely resides in us and through us. But we wait. We wait for the fullness of his reign. Where it will not be hindered by the sin of this world. You who are thirsty, who seek forgiveness, who seek repentance. Maybe you who are standing here, maybe you pressured into coming down, who not having genuine faith in Christ. That doesn't matter. I ask you, you walking down does not save you. Know that. Know that. Know that. Belief in your heart and confess confession out of your mouth. That's what saves you. True faith in Christ. So let's confess him by singing to him together this morning. Please come, Lord Jesus me pray. Father God, would you allow us to feel your presence this morning? Give us a glimpse like you, you gave John a glimpse, Father, for we would just dive us into the word, Father, the, the reset of our eyes onto what is to come. Father, would you reset our eyes and our hearts, Father, on your reign, on your reign that is to come, but on your reign that you desire today, that is today. The reality of today is that you reign, God. You reign in and through us. You reign over 200 people who now stand here, change who stand here as new creations, as evidence of your reign, God. So God, would we sing unto you, Father. We sing unto you. Would all of these words be an invitation for you to come? If there are those among us, Lord, that do not know Christ, Lord, would they know? Would they be invited in? Would you invite them in, Father, please? Would you replace their desires with desire for you? God, would you satisfy their thirst for the price, for the cost is without price, Father, for you have paid it. You have paid it, God, and we rejoice in that. Father, we rejoice in the truth of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let us worship you. Amen.